Hello, welcome back to Control Alt Delete. This is your host, Emma Gannon, and I'm excited to bring you another episode in this mini series of four episodes in partnership with Dropbox, all about creativity and collaboration across the world using the internet and technology to work with our teammates and our colleagues in a better way. I really recommend Dropbox Paper. I know I mentioned this on the other episodes, but. If you want to plan a project and sort of keep it all in one place with comments and you can kind of tag people in it so they are alerted and it's just much better than one big email thread. So I really recommend using that. I love interviewing interesting creatives on this podcast and I got to interview the amazing co-authors of Creative Superpowers to really learn about adapting, being curious, using empathy and fearlessness in our work And as part of this series, I got to interview the four authors of Creative Superpowers and talk to them about creativity and collaboration. So this episode is with Mark Earls. He talks to me about how creativity can solve difficult problems. Mark Earls is very well known in the industry of creativity and he is an award-winning writer and consultant on marketing, communications and behaviour change. He's written a number of highly influential books and he is a fellow of the Marketing Society, the RSA, and an honorary fellow of the IPA. He is also an ambassador for the School of Life, having been a strong supporter since the start of that. I love the School of Life. You need to check it out if you haven't already. So I hope you enjoyed this episode with Mark and make sure you check out all four episodes of this series. And thank you so much to Dropbox for making this happen. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and here it is. Hi, I'm Mark Earls, uh, the Herdmeister, and I'm an expert in human behaviour and creativity and innovation. And I try and help the world understand how people really are. One thing that's come up actually in previous conversations is this idea that creativity does take practice and experience. And actually, you know, the more you do it, the more you exercise that muscle, the better you are at it. Do you do you think that's true? I think that you can uh, forget how to be creative and you can create an environment in which it's not at all encouraged. Um, there's that classic observation in about education, how we unteach people creativity where they're born with. I'm not sure that's exactly right, but we certainly don't encourage it. I'm part of a, a campaign called Steamco, which is um, trying to put the A, the arts and the creativity, back into the core curriculum, because it is the most important thing for all of us to have a good life, I think. And it's also the thing that teaches us how to adapt to any situation and any discipline we find ourselves in, You know, whether you're doing actual creative things or just problem solving, you need creativity. So I think it's something that we can encourage and you can, the more you do it, the easier it seems. It doesn't mean that when you start with a blank page that um, you don't have that little twist of fear in your stomach. Uh, But then that's kind of a good thing. There's a great line in the Tom Stoppard play, Arcadia, um, when one of the characters says, oh, to be at the beginning again, knowing almost nothing. Mm. And I think that's when someone, that's a good sign, a good test of someone who practices their creativity regularly, that you go, yeah, we're here again. Mm. I don't know what it's going to be. It's brilliant. It's actually so humbling as well. I find that the best thing to do is to get up early and beat your desk before nine o'clock and then work until coffee and then go for a walk and then come back and then work for another hour and then go for a walk and have lunch be human and then work for two or three hours more and then stop that's it yeah and and knowing that there's productivity in the walk oh totally that's part of it as well you know so you need to have the thinking about things the connecting things 
Stephen King talks about you know killing your babies and being mm. happy to do that. I think that that's generally a really important part of all kinds of creativity to know what to throw away. Yes. But when you're writing, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But when you're writing, it's really important because you took forever to get that paragraph right. Mm-hmm. And then you go, it's just, a, it's not important. It's irrelevant. It's distracting. Yeah. Let's get rid of it. What you just said earlier about creativity is so true that it's so important and it is the thread that ties everything together and it's, it's a way of making things work in our personal lives and professional lives. Why do you think it is so devalued in, in society and in our culture? Kind of From a child, you're kind of told, oh, don't, don't be in the arts. Do you think we're getting I, better? I, or? No, I don't think we are really. Uh, I think that it's, it's patchy at best. I think the reason why we don't value creativity is because we... Like most cultures, we live um, uh, we live through a view that was developed in the past. So a hundred years ago, we were obsessed with machines and getting humans to be like machines. And we still treat humans in organisations a bit like they're sort of not very good machines. They're a bit lazy, so they need to be incentivized or punished or whatever. And they can optimise and, and, and whatever, they, they perfect their performance almost as good as a machine. I think it's completely wrong. I think humans are amazing. Um, uh, but that cultural hang- view is still hanging over us mm-hmm. and we don't see the value of not really doing things the same way twice. That's okay, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In fact, I'd argue um, with you know my thief and copy hat on, I'd argue that um, the more error you make, the better because you create new ways of doing something. If you think about customer service, there's never going to be a situation that's exactly the same. You need to triage pretty quickly what the problem is at the end of the customer on the end of the line and you go okay right so how can we solve this one quickly it's not going to be exactly the same as before some of it's going to be the same you need to adjust it so mm. so I think error is really important do you have to convince people you know the importance of it still sometimes when you oh, yeah. go into big companies and so um so here's here's a parallel when I used to work in the advertising world one of the most common mistakes that my colleagues and I made was to talk about how brave something was why does that send a you know, shiver up the spine? Of Why do I want to be brave? I want to be successful, not brave, um, in the client's mind. It just seems really silly and um, far better to, you know, to downplay all of that we discovered and to just go, this is well, it's clearly the obvious thing to do or it's just the one that makes most sense rather than the brave one, the risky one, the one, you know, don't, don't talk about things like that because you'll just evoke the negative in the audience. Interesting. Creativity is normal. It's something that's made our, our species so successful, both high-level creativity in terms of art and design and so on, but low-level creativity in our ability to solve problems every day. It, what makes, it makes us amazing. And so, let's not scare anyone with it. Creativity is something that, A, is not a solo act, and B, is something that we all do every day, one way or another. And, yeah. and, and you know, so just don't... don't to make yourself feel better by calling yourself a creative as in ad agencies for example people call people a creative department as opposed to the other people who clearly aren't creative mm. in any way yeah that's so true I mean I don't want to have a creative accountant working for me <laughs> but that's a, I think that's another thing yeah. right yeah um, but with being creative and like you just said it's not a solo act that's so interesting because I'm still I'm still learning that being solo doesn't mean better because I, I'm not great with teams or I just didn't find the right team. How do you know when to be on your own and you know get some ideas down versus asking and collaborating with a wider team? So I think a very, very good question of how do you manage the mix between them and how do you tell when the now, now's the time to be solo? And I think that you need to listen really carefully to yourself and you need to listen really carefully to the people around you. 
there are times, for example, locking people in a, in a workshop for a week, which I've been known to do, can be a disaster <laughs> if you force them all to talk to each other at the same time. One, because some people don't feel very comfortable being sociable. They're sort of more introverted. Um, and so therefore, you can't, don't make them do that. Um, secondly, that the dominant personalities tend to boss everyone else and therefore reduce the energy. And thirdly, um, it, you need to have different stages in solving problems. So Schumpeter, who is the great economist of, of innovation and creativity, says that there are basically two bits to, to creativity and innovation. The first bit is uh, what anthropologists now call invention, having an idea. He says that's relatively easy when he's talking about innovation in, in business sense. Um, but the hard bit is making something of it, and that's what anthropologists call innovation in, mm. in their specific sense. We value the invention bit over the innovation bit, um, mm. I think. The invention bit can be done on your own, but actually also is always done with somebody else's work. So we never start with a blank page, actually, because we've always got some, something else that we've, we don't realise we're using. Um, and uh, then when you get to work it out, there's a number of different things you have to do, and most of them you have to do with different combinations of people. That's so interesting because I do think people really value that light bulb moment, but then actually the hard work comes after that. But it's heroic, right? It, I mean, it's, so I often show a picture to people, a painting of a writer at his desk late at night, mopping his brow with coffee and loads of cigarettes there, and you go, well, that was me when I was younger, and, and it, did it really make me more creative? No, it made me more unhappy. But that's human beings need people. <laughs> we need people yeah. who are a social species, and we yeah. use the brains of other people in all kinds of ways. And creativity is one of those ways we do it. Mm. So we just heroise. I mean, it just look. It makes I think us feel better about ourselves, and as if we were above the common person, if we are that sole individual. Our culture is based on the idea of individualism, whereas mm. virtually every other culture outside the Anglo-Saxon world presumes that human beings are fundamentally social and that they do stuff together and they own stuff together and they create value in the world through their interactions with each other and through the connections they have with each other. Mm. We have this silly idea about the great genius and it doesn't help, it doesn't help people who are creative, creative with a big C, and it doesn't help the rest of us with the small C acts of creativity that we have to pursue in all parts of our life. Mm. Yeah, it's romanticised that idea of the struggling artist, like is, whiling yeah. away on your own. And you're just waiting for the clouds to part and the your draft of sunlight coming down and the muses singing and it's just not like that is it no. you know it you somehow realize oh I've just had an idea I didn't think to see that coming but about half an hour ago it seemed to emerge I don't know how in the conversation we were having it just yeah. just got there and that's yeah. and that's to be honest it's much easier to say now I'm I'm the person mm. I'm the guy I'm the girl who can solve this on my own and and it makes makes it makes pricing much easier as well mm. let's be honest as a as a, someone who who describes themselves as a creative person it's much easier to say pay lots of money for me because i'm really creative can you yeah how do you <laughs> how do you sum that up kind of on a scale like i'm really creative versus just a little well you just well you dress the way you dress and you know <laughs> yeah. you have references that are a bit obscure ideally a combination of of I don't know, 70s sci-fi and a bit of, you know, post-Marxist cultural analysis. You know, it, that's, that's one of the clues in my part of the forest, that you, <laughs> yeah. here's someone who wants to be seen as very creative. Um, yeah. It's just not like that. No. We know that's not what creativity is. And that's it's not who of, speaks the loudest sometimes. It's not. And, and my passion for 
helping the world see how people really are includes this thing about what creativity is. You know, I've worked in and run creative agencies and I've helped people in large organizations be more creative and work better with other people to be mm -hmm. more creative. Um, and it's just so important, mm -hmm. so important to their future success. And it's so rewarding when you see people do it well. Yeah. And you see people beginning to be themselves. I had one client in a project that my um, business partner, John Wilshire, and I did a couple of years ago. And he stood up and, and been working on this thing for a week um, intensively. And he stood up and, and did the sort of the stand-up meeting at the end of the week. And he said, look, if you guys won't invest in this, I will. This is the kind of work that I've wanted to do all of my life. Wow. And you go, well, that's... That's valuable, right? This, this person's life has been changed because they've become who they really are. That, I mean, mm. that's worth more than lots of other things. Yeah, not necessarily more than money, but you know, it's really <laughs> I mean, good. I was gonna say that, but maybe, maybe not. Um, well, talking about the invention versus the innovation mm. part, sometimes I think creativity isn't actually that glamorous. Sometimes, like for example, I'm working on a project at the moment and I'm actually using a spreadsheet to organize it, even though it's, um, writing and it's it's going to look great. Um, what tools do you use to collaborate and also work kind of solo? So I use a mixture of analog and digital tools. So the, one of the ones that I use most uh, often is this the is artifact cards that you, invented by my chum John Wilshire, um, and they're basically like playing cards. And so rather than have something on a screen, it's on a table between you so that you mm. can add to it and you can reorganize the thinking together. So that's a very, very collaborative, interactive analog piece, which you can then literally digitize. So it's not really hard to do mm. that. But because, because it's not post-its notes, which always seem very, very fleeting. And, yeah, very flimsy. Yeah. yeah, These are cards. You have to write on them properly with a big, thick Sharpie <laughs> and draw on them. And, uh, you know, I've taught two or three of my major clients now to use them and that's how they communicate with each other which is great so there's that um and uh then i use um i use a bunch of stuff i mean i i do use we have a lot of documentation when we're doing a piece of research to understand for example how a particular ecosystem works to take information from lots of places and you have to store it somewhere one of the places we store it on is dropbox because it's just really useful and really easy um, we use Evernote and other things like that as well. But that's, that's the kind of thing when you've got documentation you're collecting. It's what you do with it afterwards that's the really important piece. So how do you analyze that stuff? How do you turn it into things? And so we've, we found ourselves creating our own bespoke formats, templates to take information out and then share them. Not, apart from anything else, you know, when you're doing research, it's not the collecting that's the only thing that's important. It's the interpretation and the sorting yeah. of that those interpretations to produce something that other people can work with and That's how interesting important. that you and and your friend yeah. john john Wilshire, the fact yeah. the fact that you, you you know you made your own tools yeah and yeah. and of course you would because you're creative people anyway yeah no but i think that's you know there are lots of ways to create this but you know i think that that's how people how people like us have learned to work you know, there's lots of really great bespoke stuff, which is, in, you know, the basic platform is essentially you have to build your own stuff on top of it in order to, to optimize it for the kind of projects you're doing. And nothing is ever quite the same because you look, once you have a template, you then have to change it, right? Because mm. it's not quite right for the next time you use it. Yeah. And, and the okay. world is changing so fast all exactly. the time. And you go, well, I've learned something from, from doing it last time. So let's change it up or I get bored. Go, yeah. Let's change it up anyway. 
Do you think that's a big part of being in this industry or this chosen kind of job role is is this idea of not wanting to kind of do the same thing all the time? The variety. I I think variety is really important. And I think that, um, you know, you can get variety in a number of different ways. But people like us, I think, find ourselves looking it's partly we're nosy we're looking to other people's affairs repeatedly other people's domains and um and then moving on to the next one i think along the way that one of the things i've learned is important though is to, is to um, evolve and continue to evolve your frames your ideas your arguments your what you believe to be the important things in the world and the priorities and and that's something that you know so it never stops it's not like you go, right, I've, you know, I've done the equivalent of had my first exhibition. I'm now a painter. You know, you know you're not. You just have to keep painting. And, and I think that's one of the things that I've learned from uh, both my own practice and then watching really, really great creative artists, whether musicians or, or whatever. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Bowie, for example, and, and, and the way that he repeatedly over the years found new things to copy. He said, the only art I'm interested in is the art I can steal from. Mm-hmm. New things to copy and new people to collaborate with. And he just did it again and again and again. That last album of his, the Black Star thing, he's got this weird free jazz combo um, plus um, a rhythm section who are more drum and bass than anything I can think of. And and, and you go, that's just really interesting. He worked really hard to get that right, Mm. to find a new flavour for the what things he was talking about and things that he felt and what he wanted to make. There is a bravery to that, isn't there, as well? People could have gone, oh, I like your old stuff. Yeah, well, I think they do. Mm. and that's that's fine but you know you go well i'm just interested in this because and he bought himself a license to repeatedly to do something new and it didn't always work you know and that's mm. okay yeah that's the fun of it yeah and yeah. And, and that's also the case you know like so you you're writing your third book now and will it be as good as one and two that's the fear <laughs> <laughs> well it will be it just be different yeah. but I also think success can mean different things so my first yeah. book for example sold hardly any copies but got um you know five star reviews and, and and the people that did read it loved it the second book has done way better but quite a few people probably don't think it's very good so I don't know it's in, it's like what does success mean there's a great line in one of those Woody Allen movies where where I can't which one it is he's, he's the film director at a film festival and somewhere in Montauk or something like that and it's a a lifetime review of his work and one of his fans comes and goes it was great the new movie is great but it's not like your your really funny films is it and I think that's something that we all we all struggle with if you have a if you have a body of work then people have different versions of it so I've got through my work I've I've got to know a number of people around the world who have uh, like Hugh McLeod, who is the brilliant cartoonist um, at Gaping Void, um, and he's still convinced that my very first book, which sold almost nothing, was just by far the best and most inspiring mm-hmm. thing he ever read. And you go, well, that's really nice, Hugh, but I thought it was a bit clunky, frankly, and a bit naive, and I would change much of it now. But So it's very subjective, isn't so it? It's totally so totally subjective. So actually, the reader... The readers will have different opinions, and and actually, it's kind of bigger than you. You've I, done your bit. I think that I think that's right. And if you have, um, I think there's, you're, you're right to put your finger on this um, expectation of success, continually improving success over time. It's really hard to live up to that. Um, if you look at um, how musicians or artists who've been successful feel once the next album flops it's terrible because they've been told it was something how all, all to do with them 
yeah. they were a, just amazing voice of a generation, a really insight into what it's like living on this. And you go, and then second album, nothing. Fair enough. Could be just its chance and nothing to do with them, but they've been told how wonderful they are. Yeah, and that it was them. It was them and yeah. not just not, sheer chance. Yeah. Um, and everyone else producing rubbish work or even just, just chance. Yeah. Um, and it's quite hard to live with that, uh, I think. And we all have to, in our own little way, have to get to grips with that. That, you know, just because you did a really big project last time for a really big business that was really world changing, doesn't mean the next one you do has to be bigger. Same as have the you kind lost of second it? album thing. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You, you've, you've, have you lost it? Do you, do you ever have it? What do I do now? Oh, you see, you're washed up now. You're one of those people that used mm-hmm. to be good. There's a thing in the music industry. If you ever walk down in the, in the labels, offices, um, you walk down the corridors and they go, so that guy there, and it's normally guys still, that guy mm-hmm. there, he signed so-and-so, and, and that guy over there signed so-and-so. And you go, okay, that's good. So what else did they do? Well, most of the things they do didn't work at all. Mm-hmm. Most of them sold nothing. Most of, them, most of the projects never went anywhere. Yeah. I mean, I've always, I mean, maybe it's just me, but I've always thought the most exciting thing is the thing we do next rather than the things we've done in the past. It's lovely to look back, and I'm quite shocked, you know, at my advanced years to see how much <laughs> we've done in the past, but it's just really exciting. Mm. New, new, new things, to, new things, problems to solve, new kinds of people to work with, new kinds of things to understand. There's a great, a great piece in, uh, that, that Scott quotes in, in the Creative Superpowers book about, uh, from Alvin Toffler about relearning and unlearning mm, and I think I all of bit. us oh, I think it's fantastic right I think all of us have to new, learn new stuff as we go forward and keep learning new stuff and keep finding new things that we wouldn't get to grips with and, and uh, otherwise unless we made an effort I think that's just essential well, well I think one of the reasons why I'm hooked on using my creative powers is that uh, I'm forced to learn new things maybe I'm just a bit lazy but it, it but doing that kind of work I think makes me think again about new stuff and I mean I could talk to you for so long but um just one final question Mm -hmm. for people who are listening um could you just give one thing that you do and and it might be um you know very simple or just very personal to you but just one thing that you do that unlocks a creative moment when you're feeling a bit stuck so I ask two kinds of questions the first kind of question they're both kind of questions as well so what kind of thing is this what kind of problem is this what kind of thing am I dealing with here and then how have other people solved it and there are lots of solutions out there to every problem that we haven't thought of and we treat every problem as if it was unique and it sort of is in some ways but it's not the most useful way to start rather than waiting for the great you know the clouds to part and the music to start and and (laughs) the muses to reveal what the answer is the unique answer to this problem we're struggling with why not just go hey it's this kind of thing Uh, what if we tried what if we tried a, a, a solution from over there? So if you've got time, there's one story about this which just sort of brings it all alive. I met this guy a couple of years ago called Professor Martin Elliott at Great Ormond Street Hospital. And he reinvented the protocol for cardiac surgery. He's no. a pediatric cardiac surgeon. Um, and so he treats these tiny kids who are just weeks old, tiny, tiny things. And he improved the error count in the operations that his team did by 42%. How did he do it? Did he do it by sitting on his own having to think a bit? Did he do it by um, reading all the medical papers? Yeah, a bit. Did he go to lots of conferences? Yeah, a bit. His biggest solution, the biggest uh, driver to solution was one Sunday after spending a whole weekend operating, slumped in front of the Formula One highlights, 
and realised he was trying to solve a handover problem, just like those in the pit team. They, you know, they got both have got this tiny vulnerable creature in the middle with lots of different egg, tubes and wires going into the things surrounding them. And the pit teams have managed to reduce the time of a pit change from minutes down to seconds, and reduce the number of errors from regular to almost never. So he basically got McLaren and then Ferrari in to redesign the practices uh, towards the end of um, cardiac operations. So it's 10 years ago and it's, wow. it's spread around the world. That, if that's yeah. not creativity, I don't know what is. But he yeah. asked the question, what kind of thing is this? And the two questions came together for him, but I find unpacking them is just a really good mm. routine to, yeah. to try and unlock stuff. And the oh, further that away is you so copy. interesting. And also his brain must have been in a different state when you're watching TV. Like, you're relaxed a bit. You're kind of open to things. It's really, really interesting. Mm. Thank you so much. You're that welcome. Was really, that was awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. Imagine a workplace with no distractions or disruptions. No endless searching to find the latest version. No constantly switching between apps. Now imagine a place where everything just flows. At Dropbox, we're building a home for all your team's work with a suite of tools that maximizes inspiration and minimizes distraction. Because when teams are in flow, everything just clicks. Visit dropbox.com forward slash flow. Dropbox. Keep teams flowing.